Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, December 4th, 2023. For more than 100 years, Emory University's Goisueta Business School has been a training ground for principal leaders and a laboratory for powerful insights. Whether you're looking to accelerate your career or make a career pivot, Emory's one-year and two-year full-time MBA programs prepare you for a lifetime of career confidence. Learn more about Emory's top 20 MBA with top five career outcomes, offering world-class academics and small-by-design classes delivered in a dynamic global city. More at emory.biz slash clearadmit. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So can you believe it's December? Like, I mean, you know, it's Christmas season is kind of upon us. I haven't bought any gifts yet. I don't know if you have, but... <laughs> no, no. I mean, I've just got back from London. You can tell the season has changed and the lights are up. And um, yeah, it, you're def- we're definitely moving into that time of year. And obviously it's gotten a little colder too. So, yeah. um, you know, um, but yeah, no, we're, it's, it's definitely things are changing. Yeah. And I'm actually recording the, this week's episode from Milan, Italy. Uh, and it's cold here too, very Christmassy and stuff. So I've, I've never been to Milan, but I'm here for a conference that's being run by GMAC, the makers of the GMAT exam. And it's a conference for all the European MBA programs. So I'm going to be hanging out with with people from the likes of you know LBS and HEC and and gosh, uh, INSEAD, IMD, Imperial. I mean, all the, all the top kind of European schools gather to talk admissions trends. And I'm actually giving a talk at the conference. So nice. that'll be fun. Um, but we have a lot going on. I do want to get a recap in because I know, you know, last week we, you know, had admissions decisions begin to flow out and for round one from a couple of schools. But what's on tap for this coming week? Because this is one of the big decision weeks for round one. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully last week we should have seen from LBS and Booth. We were recording just slightly before they're scheduled to um, release. But this right. upcoming week, um, 12 top programs are scheduled to release their decisions. There might be a 13th, depending on when Columbia um, releases theirs. But we've got Yale, Harvard, Stanford, Darden, Tapper, Goizada, Tuck, Haas, McDonough, Fuqua, Ross, and Johnson amongst the schools that will release decisions. So that means, I mean, hopefully that means we'll see a lot of activity on Livewire, hopefully lots of great news from our ClearAdmit community. Um, and then we'll see some activity on DecisionWire as people start to then um, weigh their decisions, um, maybe getting feedback from the community if they they have selected undecided, if if someone's got, you know, multiple options and, and so forth. So yeah, lots of activity coming up next week, Graham. Yeah, and I want to encourage everyone listening to keep sharing your news um, on Livewire. And then as Alex says, if you get into multiple schools and you're kind of wanting to share those kind of that, that sort of outcome, you can use DecisionWire. Uh, I love the undecided entries. I love weighing in on those yeah. when people are like, oh, I got in here and here with this amount of money. Where should I go? So we love seeing those. So keep posting on the site. Uh, it's also a busy week, Alex, in that we have two events. Yes. Um, so it's been kind of nonstop around here. But today at noon Eastern, we've got our Clear Admit Plus monthly webinar, which is for anyone who's a registered user uh, at clearadmit.com. So, and it's free to be a registered user. So go over to the site and register if you've never done so. And then you can get access by clicking the Clear Admit Plus button and just come on and join us. Uh, we tend to I know, Alex, we always kind of prepare slides, but then we mostly end up just taking people's questions. It's almost like an office hours. And the questions that we've had the last couple of times we've done this have been so great. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing from people, uh, you know, later today, actually, when <laughs> when we do it. So we'll, we'll see. But um, yeah, so that's the first event. 
And then the second event this week is on Wednesday, and that's aimed at kind of current college students uh, who are interested in maybe going directly into a master's in management program. And so I'm going to be emceeing this one, and it's at uh, noon Eastern as well on Wednesday, December 6th. And I'm going to sit down with admissions directors from Duke, Georgetown, Emory, Kellogg, and Notre Dame. And so we're just going to be learning more about like what is a master's in management and how does it differ from an MBA. And um, and so we've been doing a lot of, you know, uh, marketing to kind of the college communities out there. And so we'll, we'll see how that one goes. It's kind of a new thing for us that we've just started doing. But I'm looking forward to that because I want to learn more about these programs, too. Yeah. Like you say, it's a bit of a new domain for us. So best of luck. Yeah. And hopefully it's a great, yeah, great, great event. So I know you picked out three candidates for us to discuss this week. So I'm going to zip through some news items. I did, I would be remiss if I did not talk about an article we ran on the LinkedIn ranking. So as you may know, LinkedIn have- We need another ranking, <laughs> LinkedIn have published- Another? I know. Yeah. They've published <laughs> a ranking. Now it's just of American MBA, full-time MBA programs. And, you know, the ranking has a lot of the usual suspects. In fact, I think across the top 16, it's the usual 16 that we kind of see in that group. Um, people might quip with the order. Um, what's kind of interesting about it is that it's based on job titles and kind of so career outcomes. And they, they had some interesting requirements. Like you can't participate in this ranking unless you're alumni. I guess you have, you have to have graduated 500 um, alums in the last five years or something like that. So, and they have to be on LinkedIn, obviously, because <laughs> LinkedIn is using the data in LinkedIn about these people's jobs and stuff to sort of figure out how to rank the schools. So I don't know, I kind of think of it as a really narrow um, ranking. I mean, it doesn't include international schools, but also, I, I don't know about you, but I, I actually like the rankings that also incorporate elements of the admissions kind of selection process, um, probably because I work in, <laughs> in, in that you know, and that, that side of it. But I think it does matter if the folks in the classroom with you are really bright um, and are really accomplished and have, you know, pretty amazing backgrounds and things. So that's not really captured here, right? And I also, I don't know, I, I'm a little worried about, you know, smaller programs maybe not being included. Um, and then finally, just, you know, just the idea that they don't give us an index. Like we don't, there's no raw scoring in this ranking. So you just see that like, you know, um, schools are ranked ordinarily, but there's no, you don't have a sense of like, how far is school number one from school number two? Right. And yeah, so like we can't, we don't really know, like they're not letting us look under the hood much. So I don't know. I know you're not a big fan. Are they differentiating between full-time, part-time and executive MBA graduates and alums? I believe so. Although you're raising a really interesting point in that, you know, some of these schools, like they make it a point to say, hey, if you graduate from Wharton, with an executive MBA, you don't put EMBA, you just, you have an MBA from Wharton. I mean, it's the same degree. Well, that's my point. It's like, how are they distinguishing between these programs? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah. I don't know. They must, they might be able to, but I, I took it's a very good question. Yeah. Um, I'm full of great questions, Graham, especially when it comes to a new ranking that we don't need. <laughs> the last thing that I was going to say, the, the cynic in me feels that, you know, 
this really benefits LinkedIn, yes. right? I mean, it's it's like every school now is going to be chasing after their grads to make sure that, oh, make sure your LinkedIn profile is up to date and that you put that you attended our program on there. And and I, I find it, it, you know, you might say, well, everyone's got their LinkedIn profile up to date, but I find that the people who have their profiles the most up to date are often the people who are like looking for work and maybe haven't, you know, are, are in a moment in their career where maybe they're not as successful. Whereas the people who like ran off and started a company and are, you know, doing big things or whatever, sometimes they let their LinkedIn profile lapse a little bit, right? So I don't know, it could just be me. But the, anyway, that that's that ranking, it's out. And I, I should have read it off, but basically they ranked it as Harvard, Stanford, Dartmouth, Wharton, MIT, Kellogg, Berkeley, Yale, Chicago, Duke. That was their top 10. Yeah. So, and I know you were, you were like, oh, how Dartmouth get in there ahead of Wharton and stuff. And, yeah. you know, again, I don't, they don't let us know that. I mean, again, <laughs> these are all great programs that they're listing. So I'm not, oh, yeah. not, not quibbling in, in that regard. I would certainly suspect that Tuck's not the third best in the world um, or in, in the US. Um, but nevertheless, it is a, a really strong program. What we do know about Tuck, though, is they have a really strong alumni network. So maybe that plays into their sort of all keeping up to date on LinkedIn <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. Um, but, 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 you know, we have, yeah, whether it's US News, whether it's Wall Street Journal, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's what, do we need just yet another ranking that doesn't quite get it right? Yeah. I'm a big believer in the tiered rankings that we've rolled out or or sort of really focus on mm -hmm. and nobody can convince me otherwise yeah you know there is a a real structure to the rankings and top programs sit in specific tiers yeah i agree as you know um so anyway that's on the site there's an article where we have um i, I think i'm quoted in there with some thoughts on it and anyway that's there we had we did run a bunch of other content over the past week which i'll try to zip through here one thing was we did two admissions tips. One was about video essays. So if you're applying in round two, you'll notice that some of the schools um, will require you to submit what we call like a video essay. It's where, you know, they give you a minute and you have to like introduce yourself to your classmates or, I mean, it, this varies from school to school, but there are assignments like that, um, which we call video essays. So there's some tips there. I'm, I'm seeing more and more of this, Graham, seeing more and more of this. Oh yeah. Possibly if you get on the wait list at Booth, you might have to submit a video essay. Yeah, there's a lot of things like that now. And there's even things that are triggered, like if you get an interview, some schools then have you do a video. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot more video in use. Um, and then the other admissions tip we ran was on data forms, which is just the application form itself, but so many candidates leave that for the last minute. So we have some very good and important advice on how to tackle that. Uh, we did run another article in that sustainability series. This um, most recent uh, entry in that series comes from Kellogg Northwestern. And you know they have like more than 20 courses that they say are grounded in climate, environment, and energy. Um, they have one in particular, I thought I'd just read a quick thing. They have this course called Managing Sustainability Transformations. And this is a course that explores the paradigm shift in corporate sustainability as no longer just a matter of compliance or social responsibility, but as becoming a material imperative for the future viability of the business. So that's kind of an interesting thing that we are seeing. Couldn't agree more. That's totally accurate, I think. So interesting that they have a course devoted to that now. But is it a required course, Graham? No, I don't think so. That's just one one of many. Um... That's the problem. <laughs> it's a course like that that should be required because at the end of the day, you know, you could go to Kellogg, fantastic program. If these are all electives, you can continue on as business as usual. I think some of this absolutely needs, well, I'm sure some of it is in the core curriculum, but that sounds like a really interesting course that could, could well be 
something that folks should take. Yeah, and I think they are. You know, I, I there's it's a very long article, and there's there are other aspects to yeah. it where they talk about the core and things. But nice. I just thought that was kind of an interesting course because you've often been talking about that. How like it's no longer just you know, it's like this is this matters to almost every company and in yeah. in ways that are different than before. It's not just fashionable. It's sort of imperative, Correct. right? So, yeah. um, we also ran a couple more articles in our Real Humans Students series. So we uh, talked to students from UT Austin McCombs. Five students over there. Uh, we caught up with students from Georgetown McDonough, and then also London Business School. And because we have a lot to get to this week, I'm not going to get into you know quotes and 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 things from that those articles. But I will say I looked at LBS because we talked to six students. I was kind of curious, like where are these students from? So here's the list. Okay, there's six students. One's from Tanzania. Yeah. One's from India, Chile, California, Kenya, and the United Kingdom. And I think that part of it's probably a pretty good summary of what you get over at LBS in terms of kind of a truly, you know, international, uh, you know, group of, of students. So pretty interesting. And I'm, I'm sure that, you know, they probably handpicked <laughs> these students for the article for those reasons, but still pretty cool to see. That's brilliant. I was on LBS's campus last week. Love it. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, speaking of LBS, we did, um, they released their class profile. So the students that are currently first years, uh, LBS typically publishes that a little bit later than the U.S. schools. So that's out now. Uh, there are 487 students in the class, maybe some of whom you saw walking around campus. Yes. That, number's yeah, that number's down a little bit. It was 509 last year. So they have a slightly smaller class. Um, and I just, just some facts and figures. I mean, 33% of the class comes from Asia, 18% uh, from North America, 17% uh, from South and Central America, 12% uh, from Europe, 6% from the UK. So really 18% from, you know, what I would call Europe, but I guess the UK is separate in this, in these stats. Um, Middle East, 6%, Africa, 4, Oceania, 4. So very balanced kind of, you know, class in terms of where people are coming from. In terms of the stats, they have on average five and a half years of work experience. The mean GMAT score was a 700 and the median 710. They did not offer any GRE stats, but they said that they like to see candidates hitting at least 160 in each section, so 320 total. Uh, and they didn't give any information about grades, and I think that's because given how international they are, they're grabbing people from all over the world, they're not normalizing GPA, so they don't they don't report the way the U.S. schools do an average GPA. Um, so anyway, what do you make of that? That's that's kind of their class profile. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. I, I think, yeah, you know, these European schools do do a really good job of having a, a strong international mix. Um, they don't have that dominant domestic pool right. that the U.S. programs do. Um, having said that, I think that Euro number is a little on the lower end, and I'd be interested to see if that has shrunk a little bit as a result of, should I say it, the ridiculous <laughs> idea of Brexit. Yeah. I wonder about that too. I mean, I think yeah. it, I mean, I will say the MBA has never been as popular in Europe as it is in some of these other markets, but I, yeah, it has true. to be down. Um, I can't imagine that that was the number like 10 years ago. Um, so yeah. yeah, so that that's some um, LBS. And then the only other thing I wanted to share before we move into the candidates this week is that um, UVA Darden published their employment report. So we've been profiling these the last few weeks or last couple of months almost in terms of schools releasing these. Um, but I'll just give you the facts and figures and be curious to hear 
you know, any thoughts that you have. So Darden, you know, 96% of the class had a job offer within three months of graduation. That's actually even better than last year where it was 94%. Uh, the starting salary for Darden grads breaks a record for them. It's $168,000. That's up from one fifty-seven. So a little bit of an uptick there. And then I'll give you the kind of um, industries and, and regional placements. So we'll start with industries. 46% of the class is going into consulting. That's up from 44%. Uh, 26% into financial services, pretty much unchanged. It was 25% last year. 11% uh, heading into tech, that's down from 14%. 4% uh, going into healthcare and 3% going into retail. Those are pretty much unchanged. And then in terms of where people are landing, 33% landed in the Northeast. Um, that's down just slightly from 35%. 23% in the Mid-Atlantic, so in Darden's backyard, basically, D.C., et cetera. Um, that's up from 20%. 13% went into the South, 11% to the Southwest, 11% to the West Coast, and 8% to the Midwest. None of those numbers are changing too dramatically. Um, you know, the, they're all the, the West Coast type numbers, Southwest and West, are down a tick. Um, but yeah, so what do you make of Darden's placement figures? Yeah, I mean, I think they're very similar to, to what we've heard from other top programs, right? Consulting numbers seem to be um, very high, despite the fact that we wonder if everyone's actually starting. They're, they're, I mean, they've got offers, but when do they actually start is, is probably a question. That drives up the overall median salary, even though inflation would drive that up too, I, I presume. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that makes sense. And the tech sector is dropping, um, which it has done at several other programs. And we've seen lots of big tech layoffs out in the marketplace. So um, so these numbers, again, very good. Darden, very good, similar to lots lots of the other top programs, I think. Yeah, and I mean, clearly some strength in the mid-Atlantic and, and northeast yeah. and south regions, which you would expect. Yeah. And, you know, as the tech jobs decline, I guess you see, yeah, more people staying out on the east coast and less going out west. So um, in any event, those are the kind of news items for this week. We're going to get into our candidates now. I did want to remind people you can always email Alex and I by writing to info at clearadmit.com. Use the subject line wiretaps. And we're still would love to see reviews. So if you if you're listening on Apple where you can easily leave a review, um, yeah, please remember to rate and review this show. It really helps others to discover the show. Um, so pick candidates coming after you. Uh, but Alex, anything else before we dive into the candidates? No, let's kick on. All right. So this is Wiretaps candidate number one. So our first candidate this week is actually not applying until next cycle, right? So they're going to apply in, in the fall to start in fall 25. Um, and they've got seven schools on their target list. Those schools are Berkeley, INSEAD, LBS, Michigan, MIT, Chicago Booth, and UVA Darden. And they've been working in project management. Uh, they'd love to get into consulting and maybe tech um, in the post-MBA kind of time frame. Their GRE is a whopping 335. Their undergraduate GPA is 3.4. They've got five years of work experience. They're currently in the U.S. and they want to stay. Um, they already have an MS in what they wrote as civil English, <laughs> which is obviously a typo. Um, I think it's civil engineering. But I was thinking about this and I was like, wow, a master's in civil English. Like it's not like, you know, it could be like super polite English. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, they have a master's in civil engineering um, in which they earned a 3.7 out of four. And 
And that was earned, I believe, in the United States because they mentioned that they came to the U.S. from India about eight years ago. So that kind of lines up um, in terms of the timeline. Sorry, I'm losing my voice here today. Uh, they are currently pursuing a professional MS in software engineering. And they also have a 3.9 out of four in that degree. And they're gonna finish that by next year. So that's something they're doing part-time while they work. And they've had in that job, two promotions in five years. They're leading a satellite office for their company in a university research park um, at a research one university in the United States. They've got 40 interns that they're managing in an AI machine learning space. and. Uh, and they, you know, mentioned they're Indian, but they've been living in the U.S. for eight years. So I'm assuming that undergrad GPA of 3.4 probably earned in India. Then they came to the U.S., got a master's degree in, en in civil <laughs> engineering, not English, and then have been working since and adding another degree. So, yeah, what do you make of this person? Because I, I think there are a lot of issues to sort of tackle here. So I'm going to give you the floor. Tell me what you think of this candidate. Yeah, I think this candidate is probably very bright. I mean, obviously, 335 GRE. Um, they've got two masters, well, they're completing a second master's degree um, and, and, and so forth. So I think they, they check that box. And um, let's assume that their work experience is also very strong. They seem to have some um, leadership um, exposure, some impact um, and so on and so forth. And they're working, looks like, in a space that's quite topical, um, artificial intelligence, machine learning um, and, and, and so forth. So... So I would say that side of it is um, all very strong. I think their goals probably make sense moving into tech, innovation, and so forth post MBA. Mm -hmm. um, um, the, 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 there are a couple of areas that they want to be careful of. One, they, they want to make sure that they apply in the first round next season, really target that first round, because they're probably going to be considered overrepresented, even though they spent eight years um, in the US. Um, I'm, I'm speculating, I think it's India Heritage. Yeah, they um, said that, yeah. The, it, yeah, and in the tech sector, right? So right. that sort of really um, potentially makes them overrepresented. So round one is really important for them. They've got to really distinguish themselves from that group of high-caliber, smart candidates. Um, we talk sometimes about this idea of someone simply being a degree collector. Mm. Um, so they've already will, will already have three degrees um, at some band somewhere, three degrees already in the bag by the time they start their MBA. Right. Um, so so they they'll need to overcome this idea that the adcoms reading is thinking, all right, what are you? What degrees next after the MBA? It's like really show why the MBA makes perfect sense for them now to execute on those goals post-MBA, um, as well as justifying the prior degrees to sort of set them on the path. I understand the civil engineering sort of looks like their first degree coming over from, from um, India to the United States, set them up for what they're doing and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So that degree collector thing is something for them to overcome. Um, they're a little light on their extracurriculars, so I'd like to know a little bit more about the personality of who this person is. What are they true interested in and passionate about outside of work, hobbies and interests to show that they're more than just the, not just because it's obviously their work looks like they've done very well and, and, and so forth, but there's, there's more to this individual than we're seeing 
as as a, a strong worker with with strong academics. But that that would be my assessment, Graham. Yeah, and I think you've hit the nail on the head on all these fronts. I mean, I, I think one of the things that really does jump out to me is, you know, admissions committees don't like to see the kind of tech, you know, this person's obviously a tech person. And when you ask them about hobbies and outside activities, they don't really have any right now. Um, and they mentioned, you know, I'm really passionate though about emerging technology and digital transformation. And so I'm thinking, okay, but you don't want to be the accountant who loves numbers in your spare time, right? You want to be the accountant who also is a fly fisherman or something, right? So I think, you know, in this case, if this person has some outside interest, they do mention that they started a nonprofit several years ago, but that they had to close it um, because it wasn't, I guess it wasn't working. So I think if I were them, in addition to kind of working on, you know, getting their applications going and all all the things they need to do to apply, um, I would probably try to think of something that they've done in the past, or or maybe they have some hobbies or things they can maybe formalize by activity with, you know, a local club or group or something, because that that will add some color, because you're right. Otherwise, they do risk being viewed as, okay, Indian engineer working in tech. And so, you know, for that, I would say, though, well, apply in the first round. Um, Numbers are pretty great overall. And yeah, just make sure that it's clear why you need that degree because it'll be the fourth. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, a lot of, there's a lot to like here. I just, I don't want them to fade into the background, you know, as they kind of might be overrepresented and stuff. Yeah. I mean, they, they've got quite a few programs on their list, Graham, a mix of top 16, um, M7, as well as um, Inside London Business School mm-hmm. overseas. What do you think of their target schools? I mean, I like all these schools, and I think there is a bit of a range here. You know, when you think of, like you said, there's some top 16, there's an, you know some M7 and, and international. The only thing I would say is if they want to land in the U.S., I'm a little puzzled. Um, yeah. Now, maybe they would say, oh, no, I'd be happy also to go work in the U.K., um, or Europe doing, you know, consulting after business school. So I just, because that's the part that doesn't stick quite for me. Um, but I, maybe yeah. they have a plan. Like maybe they're, I don't know, if I went to LBS, I would stay and work in the UK or something. I don't I don't know. Um, so I, yeah, they could probably think more about this school selection. You're right. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. No, very good. Yeah, very so I want to thank them for sharing their details and engaging with you. I know they... Um, left you some comments and things and answered some of the questions that we had. So that was really helpful. Let's move on though and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So our second candidate this week has six schools on the target list and they're applying in round two. So they're right now in the throes of putting these apps together for Berkeley, INSEAD, MIT Sloan, Kellogg, Stern, and Chicago Booth. And this person's been working in what they describe as fintech slash banking product management. They want to pivot and work in consulting or maybe tech after business school. So they have companies like Kearney, Bain, BCG, McKinsey, but also Apple, Amazon, Google, and Tesla on the list. Their GMAT score is 750. Man, you're really picking the superstars this week with their test scores, Alex. (laughs) Um, And their GPA is, they list 71.6. So I'm assuming that's out of 100. Um, They actually are from uh, Azerbaijan. So I presume the degree was probably earned in Azerbaijan and and they must use a 100 type scale. I'm also going to go out on a limb and guess that they don't have the kind of grade inflation that we sometimes see in the U.S. market. So I don't really know. I mean, we should probably ask this person, like, where did that 71.6 land you from an average you know, standpoint in terms of your class? Um, but let's assume it's okay. Uh, they have six years of work experience and they want to come and work in the United States after business school. 
And they did mention that they're applying to all these schools in round two. Um, they want to do consulting in the short term and then maybe entrepreneurship or tech and stuff. So um, they also did add that they've done some community leadership activity during and after COVID to enrich the accessibility of education to children in rural areas. Um, so again, this person's in Azerbaijan, so presumably that's where they're doing that. So Alexia, what do you make of this candidate? Because it's, I mean, we don't see candidates from Azerbaijan every week on the show here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, brilliant. I do love that extracurricular activity yeah. um, that, that you just mentioned. And it's just a good example of how that sort of helps set someone apart from simply being the worker that's got a strong academic profile. Right. Um, and at the very top schools, oftentimes it's what sets someone apart that becomes very so, somewhat differentiating um, when, when you're um, re re really identifying the very best candidates. Um, I love th this profile overall. I mean, obviously, we don't know much about their um, particular work experience. Um, so if, if it, you know, it's in fintech banking, product management, um, you know, what is the banking infrastructure like in Azerbaijan? How, how, is, how have they gotten involved in that? I, I assume um, that they've done some really interesting things. And if that is the case and they can really show strong impact and growth um, at work, that complements lots of other seemingly attractive things like a 750G map. Right. As you mentioned, we don't really know the... The, the the rigor of the the the, the GPA, um, but let's assume that's good too. Because if you've got a 750 GMAT, you must be pretty smart. So um, so that's really good. Um, their their goals um, make sense to me in as much as they they want to pursue consulting in the short run, um, and we often see that with candidates just gives them broader exposure to different industries and so on and so forth. Love that. They mentioned that they actually want to do entrepreneurship in the long run. And to me, that's really critical to this candidacy in terms of the success of this candidate or, or, or not. Um, because I'd like to know more about this entrepreneurship. And is it back in Azerbaijan? If they're planning to return after a few years consulting in the US to Azerbaijan, um, to set up something that's going to have significant impact and they're sort of ticking all the boxes to prepare them for, for doing that along the way by going to business school in the United States, et cetera, et cetera. I think that really elevates the whole candidacy because their opportunity to make an impact in Azerbaijan um, as an alum is going to be, in my book anyway, higher in terms of their accessibility to make that impact than it would be in the United States where there's lots of other people wanting to make impact in the United States. So, so yeah, if their entrepreneurship goes, sends them back to Azerbaijan, Graham, I think this is a really interesting um, profile overall. Yeah. I mean, it also just helps to underline their background, right? So it'll, it'll be really front, you know, front and center for the admissions reader. And, and we, as we said, we don't get candidates from Azerbaijan uh, that often. And I think the schools are in the same boat in that regard. I think my hope is that, you know, originally I was like, oh, that GPA could be worrisome, 71.6 out of 100. But my guess is that they're probably top 20% of their class with that number, um, just, just based on my experience. And, and so if that's the case, you know, and the GMAT seems to kind of um, support that 
argument that, wow, this person's probably pretty bright. 750 is not a score you see every day. So in any event, um, I agree. I, I think this person could do quite well. Yeah. I am a little nervous that they're, you know, putting it all together right now for round two, but they have some time. Um, you know, the deadlines are, you know, early Jan. So I think it, it could happen for them and they just need to get it all together. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot to like here, as you say. And I, yeah, I think this person's going to find success. What do you think if they, again, the question you asked me before, they want to land in the U.S. Does it still make sense to have INSEAD on the list? Not really. No. <laughs> but I mean, again, it's it's back to your point. Maybe they're sort of hedging in Europe is, is a good option for them too. Right. That's my so, suspicion um, is I'm, that they probably, you yeah. know, they could work kind of anywhere yeah. in Europe or Asia with with an INSEAD degree yeah. too, right? So, yeah. So in any event, we'll see where, where they land, but best of luck to them. And I do appreciate them also responding. You know, sometimes you you leave questions or you, you kind of comment on these entries. And I don't know if everyone knows they can go and comment or not, but sometimes <laughs> some people comment, some yeah. don't. So it was great this person wrote back to give you a little bit of uh, more color. So best of luck to them. Hopefully they'll keep us posted and um, they can you know, even join us on our webinar later today to, to talk more. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on and talk about Wiretap's candidate number three. So this third candidate is also, um, it looks like considering 2025, um, but they have an even bigger dilemma, you know, in terms of not just the year, but what type of program, so part-time versus full-time. So this candidate's been working in healthcare. Um, they want to pivot into consulting or maybe technology. They currently have a 317 on the GRE and are on the fence about whether or not to retake that. Their undergraduate GPA was a 3.75, and they have five years of work experience. They're located in New York, but they want to land on the West Coast after business school. And they say that for now, it's really just part-time programs only. So they've got Berkeley, Haas, Chicago Booth, and UCLA Anderson as the targets. And I know, I think you had inquired, well, you know, how did you pick those? And it turns out that this person found that those three programs treat their part-timers quite well in the career services domain and give them access to kind of, you know, all the tools and things that you would need to pivot and shift careers. Um, and, you know, then you were like, well, you want to be in California, Berkeley and UCLA makes sense. Why is Booth on the list? And the person responded and said that they, I think, went to undergrad in the Midwest and have some roots there. So that was the kind of school selection process for them. Uh, again, they have that 317 on the GRE, a 159 on the quant, and a 158 on the verbal. Their uh, GPA was from a Big Ten state school, so top 40 um, school in, in the U.S. And they do mention that they're currently working in marketing at a Fortune 25 healthcare company, and they've had two promotions. They also had worked in marketing at a top global beauty company, um, and they're thinking post MBA about health tech, tech in general, or maybe consulting, as I said. So yeah, Alex, this is, I mean, this is interesting in that we could profile this person and talk about, you know, their credentials, but they also, you know, they get into it in the comments about they've had this internal dilemma about part-time versus full-time, and they seem quite nervous about leaving the workforce for two years, spending all that money, um, et cetera. So yeah, what, what's your advice here? Because this is an interesting case. I, I think it, it needs to be made quite clear, and I think you can you can do a better job of this than me. The difference between a full time experience and a part time experience, what what you're sort of setting yourself up for, um, because the part time experience, um, yeah, it's it allows you to continue to work, so the opportunity costs are, are much lower, the risk is much lower, 
but but I also get the sense or, or you know my understanding would be that the part-time option is much less immersive I mean you're, you're basically juggling family life work life and school um, um, and school tends to be either on the night time or at the weekend whatever it might be um, um, to make it all work um, it's typically going to take you longer to graduate I would imagine the graduation rate is lower um, than full-time um, programs. I know that from my own experience um, um, on the, on the part-time side. So they are two very different um, options, I think, in that regard. Um, and I do think if, if you're really wanting to use career services um, and making a switch, whilst these part-time programs might help facilitate that, more relative to other part-time programs um, nothing matches the full-time experience with club activity and various other things as well as career services to allow you to transition um, the internship etc etc um, so so i just wanted to make it very clear there's a distinct difference between part-time and full-time um, in those regards and i would say to this candidate um, retake the GRE, go all in and, you know, really obviously try to get your best score. But yeah. yeah. So, so, and if they get a score in those mid three twenties, then apply to some full-time top programs too, and then weigh up the options later. Yeah. Um, in terms of whether full-time or part-time makes the best sense. They're not applying until next season, so they've got some time to sort of identify, let's say, these three programs as part-time options, then identify three or four programs as full-time options um, when they get around to applying, if they come back with that sort of competitive uh, GRE score, because that might then put them in the running for some scholarship, which would help defray some of the risk um, and so on and so forth. But they might be a great candidate for a top full-time program, Graham. Yeah, that's the thing that um, was really sticking with me is, yeah, there seems to be a, a reasonable you know, concern about, well, this is going to cost a lot. I'm going to be out of the workforce for two years. Um, and I get that. But when I look at the fact that you know they only have five years of experience, which puts them directly in the kind of full-time traditional kind of MBA pipeline. Yeah. Um, but I also was like, wow, if you know this person's clearly smart, three seven five GPA from a top forty U.S. university, uh, you know, if they were to really work on the GRE, which, as you point out, they maybe have some time to do, they could probably boost that score substantially. I mean, if they just you know even just took a class or whatever they need to do to kind of boost that score. Yeah. And then what happens is, and here I'm going to go out on a limb because I'm not certain of this, but the fact that they worked in marketing. Um, what is it? They worked in marketing at a top global beauty company. Um, makes me wonder if maybe this is even a female candidate. And we don't know for sure because we don't, I don't think we have any, yeah, they, they didn't say. But if this were a female candidate, imagine, let's imagine 325 GRE, 375 GPA, five or, you know, five or so years of experience and marketing, pretty clear set of career goals. I love the health tech idea because it's sort of a blend of, you know, something that she's done a bit of with healthcare or if it, this is a woman and then heading off in that direction. Um, but on the tech side of it, like there's a lot to like here. And suddenly I could not only see this person getting in to some full-time programs, but getting in with like half tuition scholarships because we see that occurring all the time. Yeah. Um, and we know that, I mean, gosh, you know, the applicant pool 
um, still remains veer, it still remains heavily male versus female. But the schools have been gradually inching up and getting closer and closer to parity with their classes that they admit. So there's still really good odds for women applying. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, and schools use money pretty um, generously, especially top schools. So I don't know. I just wanted that to sort of plant that seed. And, and I mean, I, I don't want to um, go kind of beat a dead horse here, but, you know, you're absolutely right about this, like, you know, this notion that a full-time program is a really different experience. So like when you're, you know, like, I'm like, what, I don't even know how many years out from graduating from Wharton at this point, but I still remember it and the friendships I forged and the the clubs I was a part of and, and the campus activities. And it really is a kind of immersive, um, transformational experience. And I, I think it's hard to get that when you're sort of commuting in to, you know, a kind of part-time program. Now you've got work, you've got life, and, and this is just like an activity you're engaging in a few times a week. Yeah. You know, it's very different. So I mean, part-time is great if, you, if you're just looking for the knowledge, yeah. right? You still going to get that knowledge from the classroom you're going to be taught by the same great professors mm -hmm. doing the same sort of academics and stuff but the full-time program just offers so much more yeah yeah, I agree. So in any event, I think we've made our case here, but I, I, you know, obviously this person could probably get into some of these part-time programs, um, might be on the younger side for some of them, but it, you know, that depends. I mean, it, yeah. they, they vary. Yeah. So uh, they, they do improv too. So it's, we're not, oh, only, yeah. I yeah. mean, they, they also have this sort of other in, in, interest that schools love that stuff. Yeah. Yes. And, and they do improv comedy and stuff or whatever, yeah. or maybe it's just, I don't know if it's comedy, but it's improv and that's a great yeah. skill set. It's what's cool about that is it's an artsy thing to do, but it's very relevant to kind of being a great business leader if you're doing public speaking and things. So, yeah. yeah. So anyway, I think there's a lot to like here potentially if they could, you know, make some changes on the test score. Um, but anyway, Alex, I really appreciate you picking out all these candidates this week, some interesting <laughs> topics and you know, from Azerbaijan to improv, right? So, <laughs> yeah. um, so in any event, uh, yeah, we'll do it all again next week. Uh, remember folks, if you're listening on Monday morning, come and hang out with Alex and I for our December 4th, uh, noon Eastern webinar. Uh, and otherwise Alex, I'll see you in one week's time for another episode of the podcast. Brilliant. Stay safe, everyone. Take care.